personal lives or the unspeakable suffering that we see in the world today is a reason to turn away from God. I cannot accept a God who would allow that to happen. We've all probably heard it. If you were like I am, it's a struggle really to find a response to that. Because God is God. Nothing happens that is outside his sovereign rule and control. And that includes the suffering in our world. So the Bible message and the experience of many believers down the centuries and how to find hope in the face of horror is to turn to God. That is the Christian message. We've been born again to a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. So in the context of the New Testament, this hope is generally found in suffering. So I'm going to get you to turn to the Old Testament. <laughs> 2 Kings, chapter 7, please. And we see in the book of 2 Kings, while you're turning there, that in chapter 6, 24, through the end of chapter 7, this problem is presented. But we're going to focus on chapter 7 today, but in chapter 6, we see that the city of Samaria had, uh, had suffered a siege of the city by the king of Syria. The population was slowly starving to death. And we hear in the story of two mothers that even resorted to cannibalism of their children. It, it was an unimaginable horror. They were in the depths of despair. The king of Israel was beside himself with despair. He was powerless to help, and he knew it. And he, had, he, he reasoned God must be responsible for this dread since he did nothing to relieve it. And we see that in 627. His response was to lash out at the man of God, Elisha. We see that in 631. And give up hope on, in God. We see that in 635. This evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? He had given up hope. So we're going to follow what happened next because into a hopeless situation came the possibility of hope. So let's set the scene in seven. We're, we're at Elijah's house somewhere in the city. The elders of the city are in the house with him. They're leaning all their weight up against the front door to keep everybody out that is on the outside of the door. On the outside of the door, there's a messenger from the king. He's actually an assassin. He's come to take Elijah's head off. 
Now the king himself has arrived, and we hear from inside the house the calm, firm voice of Elisha. Chapter 7, 1. Then Elijah said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. With these words, Elisha introduced the possibility of hope into a hopeless situation. Everyone could see the suffering, and nobody could see any reason for the relief, of any relief. Then Elijah called on the king and those with him to hear the word of the Lord, and that would make the difference. According to the Bible, the word of the Lord is the power behind everything. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The word of the Lord is God's commitment to his good purpose for his people and all creation. The word of the Lord came to Abraham, Samuel, Nathan, and many more in different times and different places. The word of the Lord points to the unity behind these messages. And the, it is God has spoken. That's the unity. God has spoken. The word of the Lord is his promise for all things. So Elisha's call on that day was serious. In the face of everything that was happening, all that you could see or feel, hear the word of the Lord. The future is not, will not be determined by the famine, by the king, or by the enemy, but by the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord came from Elijah's lips in a promise. Within 24 hours, fine flour and barley will be available in Samaria at reasonable prices. The promise was the complete odds to what was happening. Complete. There was no food or no way to replenish it. They were surrounded by the Syrian army. But according to Elijah, there was hope because there was a promise. It was the word of the Lord. So there is hope for our troubled word because there is a promise. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thing about the word of the Lord, it, it is as reliable as the Lord whose word it is. The point of hearing the word of the Lord is to believe what you hear. For those who believe only what they see or only what they feel in the face of suffering, there's no hope. So on that day in Samaria, there was one man outside the door that was in no mood to believe what he heard. Verse 2. 
Then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be. He was mocking. And not surprising under the circumstances. Things were so bad. You can only imagine what this man seen. The things in their city were at the complete despair. He was unwilling to believe. Elisha's response, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. You will see what is promised, but you will not benefit from a promise you refuse to believe. That's how it is. So we leave, it just changes gears here. We leave the tent standoff, leaves us hanging. We completely change scenes to, to four lepers. We go to verse three. And I'll warn you, we're gonna go through the last ones quick. We're not gonna be too long. <laughs> but the whole, I like to, to do whole chapter seven because it brings it into context for the end. So verse three. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said to one another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we will die also. Now therefore, come let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. So their situation was, was hopeless. I mean, they, they were starving and they were lepers. They were lepers. So when I see that, it's like, okay, I, I'm not gonna put too much hope in the enemy that would spare their lives. Maybe if they were young and healthy, they would keep them as slaves. But my thinking, their probability of survival would be zero. Verse five. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. There was no one there. How could that be? It was the presence of the Syrian army that put Samaria into the hopeless state that it was in. Imagine the utter surprise and the disbelief of the lepers, seeing that no one was there. Events took a turn that were totally unexpected. Something happened that nobody would have anticipated unless they heard the word of the Lord but they hadn't. Isn't it a bit like, when I was going through it, I thought, it's a bit like those who came to a tomb on a Sunday morning many years later, thinking death had triumphed. To their utter surprise, no one was there. It was something they did not expect unless they had listened to the words of Jesus. So remember, things happen beyond our understanding. 
That's how God works. But the writer of two kings, he lets us in on the secret of what had happened and why there was nobody there. In verse 6, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. So notice in verse 5 and verse 7, God's timing's perfect. As the Syrians were leaving the camp at twilight, the lepers were making their way to the camp. God's timing's always perfect. So they heard the sound of a great army. So they acted on what they perceived. They panicked, they fled. Now God's power has, he can change anything. We see in our world today the conflicts and everything that's going on. And I see here, God has not changed. God takes the powerful Syrian army and moves it at his will like a pawn on a chessboard. So his will will be done. Our armies of today are no different. God still works. God works in ways unseen by us. So verse 8 picks up where verse 5 left off. And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence, thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. They were hungry, they were desperate. For all they knew, the Syrian army could come back at any time. They didn't know what was going on, so they hurried. And again, you gotta put yourself into that situation. You're running on adrenaline, you're rushing. They just had to be going for all they were worth and looking over their shoulder while they were doing it. But through all that rushing, they, it began to dawn on them. The Syrian army's not returning. And something happens at that point in their conscience, too. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. This day is a day of good news. It's a gospel day, you might say. It dawned on them that, the Samaria, the, that Samaria had been delivered from her troubles. It was huge. What they experienced, and I don't think they realized, was that the kindness of God must not be made an opportunity to grab stuff for ourselves. Carry on in verse 9. And when we and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, 
some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, asses tied, and tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. The news was that important that they had to awaken the king. If you're going to awaken the king, it better be important. <laughs> we all know that. Remember the king, he had heard the promise in verse 1. He was there. He heard it. And we're going to see his reaction. And I think we've all had this re reaction to different things in the past. But what's his reaction? We've all heard it. Too good to be true. Verse 12. And the king arose in the night, and he said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain which are left in the city. Now, probably in verse 1, I'm thinking, when the king was outside the, Elisha's house, the king never travels alone. I've never seen that in the past where royalty travels alone. What are the chances maybe this servant was with him and heard the word of the Lord? It doesn't tell us, but it sure went through my mind when I had read it. In the end of the verse, let us send and see. So they took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. The unbelievable news of the lepers the lepers reported was actually true. And again, it, remember the woman, women that went to the tomb and came back? Did they get the same reaction? Too good to be true? They weren't believed. But the news was actually true. Verse 16. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. That's how the word of the Lord works. What is promised happens. Always. Always. So I think we're meant to notice this in the last four verses. Let me read them. Verse 17, And the king appointed 
the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate. And he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, should that make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod him upon, trod upon him in the gate, and he died. To despise the word of the Lord, to refuse to believe the word of the Lord, is to despise the Lord himself. And that has consequences. We see that. So we see in this particular experience of Israel in those days of suffering, but it reflects in a shadowy way, really, the truth about our world that we live in today. No difference. So again, I ask, and I'll expand, what is the right response to suffering? or the suffering that we witness? Is it not simply this? Hear the word of the Lord. There is a promise to be taken seriously of sins forgiven, of the end of all tears, no more pain of eternal life, the gospel of Jesus Christ resurrection from the dead. It is the hope of the world. Hear it, believe it, and the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope in the midst of suffering. Pastor?